going out into the woods. And to get out in the woods at five in the morning and sit up there and look at the stars, look around at the trees, and listen to the Lord and talk to the Lord. I don't think there's sweeter times in the quiet moments of life just to spend time with the Lord. And uh, what a great truth in song for us there. Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 46 this morning. And if you're there, say amen. All right, I mean, I did give you a head start. You had that whole song to get ready, okay? And it is the first book of the Bible, okay? So um, we're, we're there in Genesis chapter 46, continuing our journey through Genesis. And our journey is going to take us through uh, chapter 46 and into uh, chapter 47 this morning. And a wonderful, wonderful account listed for us in the Scripture. Uh, now, just, just to review, so we remember what's happening before this chapter comes on the scene, uh, Jacob's sons have just come back from Egypt with some wonderful news. Joseph, his uh, second youngest son, is still alive. He thought he was dead. And they came back with this wonderful news. He's still alive and he's become the Lord over all of Egypt. The world was in a time of famine during that time period. And Joseph had invited Jacob and all of his home, his father and all of his household to come and live with him in Egypt. And he was going to take care of them. And boy, it was good news that those sons came bearing back to share with their father at that point. And the Bible tells us that when Jacob heard the news, he said, it's enough. I will go down to Egypt and see Joseph. He was so excited to hear the news about his son that he immediately said, let's pack everything up and let's go down to Egypt. But as we'll see this morning, the good news that Joseph shared with his family was enough to get Jacob to start the journey, but it wasn't enough to get him to go all the way to Egypt. There was something that held him back. There was something that stopped him in his tracks. And that was the realization of change. His life was changing very fast. You know, change is something that all of us are going to encounter in life. And uh, change, there are, different, there are different seasons to life, all right? Uh, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to remember this, but uh, someone described the different seasons of life by uh, using Santa Claus as an illustration, okay? In the first season of life, you believe in Santa Claus. The second season of life, you don't believe in Santa Claus. The third season, of, uh, third season you are Santa Claus. And in the fourth season, you look like Santa Claus, Okay? <laughs> So, yeah, Brother Wilson, okay. I, I was going to call you out, but you went ahead and called yourself out, so there you go. Um, and uh, so there you are. All of us have the different seasons of life. All of us go through times of change in life. It's, it's estimated that the average American moves, changes uh, their living location every five years. Now, how many of you, that's been pretty true for you? All right, every, about every five years. Some of you have lived the same place for a very, very long time. Good for you. Um, but boy, we, we experience all types of changes in our life. And some of the changes that we go through in life are a lot more significant than others. Uh, sometimes when you change a job and move to a new area, move to a new city, uh, when you, uh, your life really changes when you get married, all right? When you enter into a new relationship. Uh, and then sometimes change is brought about by the loss of a loved one. You're never the same after some changes take place in your life. And uh, some of these changes can be very difficult to go through. As a teenager, I remember uh, one significant change that altered the course of my life was when we moved churches. I had grown up in one church. I was homeschooled. My entire peer group was pretty much in that church. And boy, my parents 
were led of God to move and, and to go start going to a different church. And I did not like it. I did not like it one bit. Um, but boy, God used that change that he led my parents to make to impact my life greatly. I will say this, I would not be standing here today, I do believe, unless my parents had followed the Lord's leadership with, with making that change. And God crossed my path with people I needed my path crossed with. It led me to surrender to the ministry and to walk down the path that I've walked down to this point. And God used a change in the season of life to do that. And he often does work through the changing seasons of life. Now, sometimes change is your choice. And other times, choice, or a change leaves you no choice. It comes on you without leaving you any choice in the matter. Now, I think it's an understood fact that most young people look at change in a positive way. They think that change is going to make their life better, okay? And uh, so, for example, uh, I've had a lot of kids tell me, I can't wait till I get out of school. How many of you kids, how many of you teenagers agree with that this morning? There you go. We've got a couple seniors in here. They really can't wait, okay? Counting down the days. Change. They think change is going to make their life better. And older people tend to be the other way. They look at change in a negative sense. They think that if things change, that it's going to make their life worse. And so all of us look at change in different ways. But understand this fact. If change is being brought about by God, it is always for our good even if that's not understood from the beginning. If change is being brought about by your own devisings, however, it won't end well for you. And sometimes we change not because God wants us to change, but because we want to change. And that can be a dangerous thing. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that uh, we are not to meddle with those who are given to change. Uh, to changing things. And yet at the same time, in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1, the Bible says to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. The fact of the matter is, life consists of changes. We have the changing of seasons that go on in this world, and it is the same way with our life. We're not going to get around the fact that there are going to be seasons of life where we experience a great measure of change. And yet in the midst of all of it is a God of whom the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 7. God never changes. And it's a comfort to know in the midst of all the change we experience in life, there is a God who is always consistent and always faithful and always there for us. And he's the one that can help us navigate the changing seasons that we go through in life. And so here's the question then. How are we supposed to handle the changing seasons of life God's way. How do you handle change biblically? As we look at Genesis chapter 46 this morning and chapter 47, I believe the scripture gives to us here five ways you can handle the changes of life biblically. I want to look at these together. Now listen, some of you, um, you are going through a season of change right now. All right? And... Uh, I don't know what it is specifically for you, but uh, your life is different. Our life just significantly changed because we just had another baby, okay? That changes your life a lot. Um, but some of you are going through change right now. Some of you are, are about to go through change, and you may not even realize it yet. And listen, some of you desperately need change in your life. You need to have your life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But I think there's a message about the need for change for all of us here today. And so let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts and communicate his word to us as we dig into this passage of scripture. Father, we come before you and thank you for the opportunity to bow uh, and pray. And thank you for the privilege of being able to come boldly before your presence. And Lord, I come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask that your, your Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts of all those gathered here today. I don't know the needs that are represented in this room, but you know them. You're a God who knows all things. You know exactly what every person in this room needs to hear and what they don't need to hear. And Lord, I pray that you would help them through the preaching of your word to hear the message that needs to be communicated today. And I pray, God, that you would enable me with voice, with ability, with the clarity of thought uh, to be able to communicate the truth that you have persuaded my heart of. And I pray it would be helpful and relevant to your people as we open your word today. And uh, Lord, we'll give you the glory for what you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Five biblical ways to handle change. And I want you to see, first of all, this morning, if you're going to handle change biblically, it's going to require you to seek the plan of God. Number one, seek the plan of God. Now, Genesis chapter 46 in your Bible, let's look at verse number one. If you're there, say amen. All right, we're kind of to a grunting mode now, okay? All right, we're going to have to pick that up a little bit or, or I'm going to have to preach really slow, okay? All right, Genesis 46, verse 1. The Bible says, And Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. Now, let's stop right there for a minute. Let's, let's realize what's going on here. After uh, jo Jacob had received the invitation from Joseph to move to Egypt, immediately he picked up and started to make his journey. And he was so excited to see his son Joseph. But somewhere along the way, a thought entered into his mind. I'm making this great move, but I haven't asked God if this is what God wants me to do. And so literally, Jacob stopped at the southernmost point in the nation of Israel, in Canaan land. Um, he stopped at Beersheba. Um, it was as south as you could go in the land of Canaan. And he stops there, and before he steps his foot off of the land of Canaan, he said, I better stop and make sure this is what God wants me to do. Now, Beersheba was a special place to Jacob and to his family. Beersheba was where he had grown up. It's where his father lived when he was young. It was from Beersheba he had left to go, uh, uh, to, 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 go uh, to Haran where he met his wives and all that part of the story happened. Beersheba was a place where Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father, had built altars and communed to the Lord and sought God's will. And so it was a special place for Jacob to come back to. And when he came to Beersheba, when he came to the well that his father, Father Abraham had dug, when he came to the altar that his father Jacob had built, he stopped. He said, I need to find out if this is what God wants me to do. And don't miss this application right here. Seeking God's plan for your life always requires you to wait. Listen, so often when change begins to come, our response is to run at it headlong and to make foolish decisions. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 19, and verse 2, he that hastes with his feet sins. In other words, listen, if you are trying to seek God's will, the enemy of you seeking God's will is hurry. And boy, we're a hurried people in America, aren't we? Our schedules are so full, and almost uh, we don't give God the chance to even be able to communicate us when change starts knocking on our doors. Listen, just because something seems like it's the right thing to do to you 
doesn't mean that it's God's will. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Before you start walking down a road, you better, you better exercise some wisdom and be willing to stop and say, God, is this what you want? The Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him and the soul that seeks him. You know, wise thing for you, if you're going to really seek out God's plan, to wait to hear what God's plan actually is. Now, Jacob stops in Beersheba. The Bible goes on to tell us in verse number one, there in Beersheba, it says, he offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. Now, his father, Isaac, had built an altar at Beersheba. The Bible says that Jacob offered a sacrifice on this altar. The, the uh, use of words in the Hebrew indicates the kind of offering that he sacrificed was a peace offering. Peace offerings in the Old Testament were offerings that were given to offer thanksgiving to God for something gracious that he had done. And obviously we know, we have a pretty good idea of what uh, Jacob was offering up this peace offering for. Uh, God had just brought his son back to life in his mind. He thought Jake, Joseph was dead. Now he finds out he's alive. He's a ruler in Egypt. And Joseph, uh, God has used Joseph to provide Jacob and his family a way to be sustained through the years of famine. He had a great reason to offer up this peace offering to the Lord, to offer up this offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. And I imagine as Jacob began to offer up this uh, sacrifice of worship to the Lord, as he began to worship the Lord here in Beersheba, he's seeking God's plan and he's essentially telling the Lord, God, you've been so good to me. You've brought me to this point, and I don't know if you want me to go forward into Egypt or not, but I want to tell you thank you for what you've done in bringing, to, in bringing me to this point. And listen, if you really want to seek God's plan for your life, seeking God's plan necessitates your worship. In other words, listen, sometimes we resist God's plan. We don't want to be thankful for God's leadership in our life. And so far from worshiping God, we resist God. But if you're truly going to seek God's plan for your life, you've got to be willing, like Job was later in the scripture, to say the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God, no matter what you tell me to do from this point forward, you're still good, you're still God, and I'm still going to worship you. If you're really going to seek God's plan for your life, it's going to necessitate your worship. I want you to see this next as we go down to verse number, uh, verse number three or verse number two. The Bible says, and as Jacob was there, God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt. That very night, as Jacob stopped to worship the Lord and to seek God's plan for his life, the Bible says that God revealed himself to Jacob. And in the dreams of the night, he whispered, Jacob, Jacob. And he began to, to talk to Jacob and he called Jacob by his name. He knew who Jacob was. He knew where Jacob was. And as Jacob was seeking his will, God wanted to make himself known to him. And then God revealed to Jacob who he was. And uh, I love the use of words here in verse number three. In verse three, he said, I am God. That's the Hebrew word El. It speaks of the one true God. He says, I am God. And then he says, the God of thy fathers. That's Elohim. That's, the, uh, that's, that's a name that's used of all different types of gods. But God was saying, I'm not just the one true God. 
but I'm the God that your fathers worshiped. I'm the God that was there for your fathers and I'm still going to be here for you, Jacob. And as Jacob seeks the Lord, this God, the true God, the God of his fathers appeared to him and said, Jacob, you're wondering if I want you to go down to Egypt and I'm giving you my blessing. You're being faced with this season of change in your life and you're wondering if, you want, if, if I want you to walk down this road. And Jacob, I want to remind you, I, I, I am in favor of it. You can, you can walk down this road and have the assurance that it's what I want you to do. And get this, as Jacob was seeking God's plan for his life, what we see demonstrated from him was a willing spirit. In other words, Jacob gave God the opportunity to tell him no. Now, with all of his heart, all he wanted to do was go see Joseph in Egypt. But when he sought the Lord, he gave God the opportunity to tell him no. And if you're really going to seek God's plan for your life, it is going to require your willingness. In other words, you're going to have to be willing to let God say no or say yes. Now, so often we want to assume that we know what God's will is for our life. But if you're really going to seek what God's plan is for your life, you're going to have to be willing to let God show you what it really is. Can I tell you something? If you seek God's plan for your life, I promise you, he will answer you every time. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, the promise of the scripture is, Call unto me, God says, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You can mark it down. If you're willing to understand what God's purpose is, what God's plan is for your life, he will reveal it to you if you'd be willing to wait. And so, number one, we're going to handle change biblically. We need to seek the plan of God. But I want you to see number two this morning. If you're going to handle change biblically, you need to trust the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. Now, the choice to make this big change was uh, selected as God's plan. That's what we've seen already demonstrated. But we see that it was uh, furthered on by the fact that God promised he was going to be with Jacob as he went through this season of change. The Bible tells us in verse number three, if you're there, say amen. amen. Verse three, it says, And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will, uh, I will there make of thee a great nation, and I'll go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. I love this. God began to remind Jacob that his jurisdiction was not limited to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. He began to make clear to Jacob, hey, I am the Lord of all the earth, and I'm the same God that... The same God that I've been who has been with you in the promised land is going to be the same one that I'm going to be who's going to go down with you into Egypt. My word that was good for you in the promised land can be good for you through this season of change in your life that you're about to go through. And begin to make this clear, and I love the four promises that God gives to Jacob as he gets ready to make this big change in life. Number one, he promised uh, to give him an abundant mul multiplication. In verse 3, he said there in that verse, um, I, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I've promised your fathers. I've promised you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And you can mark it down, Jacob. You may not see how it's possible. You may not see how it's going to happen. But I'm good for my word. What I promised you is still going to come, come to pass. And uh, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. I'm thankful for that promise for you and I as well. The second promise he was given in verse number four was this. At the beginning of verse four, God promised, I will go down with thee into Egypt. 
He promised his abiding presence to be with Jacob as he went through this season of change. Let me tell you something. Jacob wasn't going, going down to Egypt alone. God was going with him. By the way, that's all he needed. If he knew God was going to be with him, that's all he needed to know. And friend, I don't care what season of life you go through. I don't care what change may come into your life. There's not a place you'll go in life where God won't be there for you. I love the promise in Hebrews chapter 13 when the Bible says, Jesus' promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm thankful for the abiding presence of our God, no matter what season of life we're going through. People may leave you, loved ones may pass away and leave you behind, but God will always be there for you and thank him for it. The third promise he was given was the promise of an anticipated return. In verse 4, the middle part of the verse, God said, I will also surely bring you up again. God told Jacob, listen, you're not going to be stuck in Egypt forever. I'm going to, it's going to happen. I'm going to bring you back up out of there. Now, it was after Jacob died that his body was brought back up, brought back up out of there. I can't talk today, okay? Y'all pray for me. But God kept his promise to him and This reminds me of the fact that God has promised you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we're not going to be stuck in this old world. Even if our bodies pass on, there's going to be a great hallelujah resurrection day. Our bodies will be resurrected and we'll live forever with Christ in eternity. Thankful for that promise. The fourth promise he was given was the promise of an affectionate death. Verse 4, the Bible says, And Joseph shall put his hand upon your eyes. Now this was the special privilege of the heir when a loved one passed away, to be the one to close their eyes after they, after they passed. And boy, what a reassurance to Jacob. That son who you've long been estranged from, who you thought was dead, you're going to see him again, and he'll be there for the end of your days. And that was a comfort to Jacob's heart at that point in time. And you know, we have an even better reassurance from the Lord as the people of God today. You see, the fact is, We don't have someone promised to close our eyes in death, but when we do die, when our eyes do close in death, we have the promise that when they open, we're going to see the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm thankful for that promise here today. Now here's what I want you to see in all this. Jacob, he chose to go forward and to face the change that was being proposed in his life on the basis of the promises of God. He said, God... If you'll be with me, you're still going to fulfill your purposes through me, then I'll go through this change trusting in you. And he chose to trust in the promises of God. And I don't care what change may be on the horizon for you in your life. God's word is always going to be good. And you can always bank your life on it. You can always trust him. No matter what change may come in your life, if you live by the principles and the promises of God, you'll never go astray. So number one, How do you handle change biblically? Seek the plan of God. Number two, trust in the promises of God. Number three, believe the purpose of God. Believe the purpose of God. Now think about this with me. This choice to make this big move was not something that Jacob ever thought would happen. He was living in the promised land. He was living in a land God had promised to him, and now he's having to face this choice to leave that land. To go to a foreign land. This was a choice that required a great measure of faith for Jacob to make. Now God had promised that he was going to make out of Jacob and his descendants a great nation in the land of Canaan. But I'm sure he thought in his mind, how is that going to happen if we're not living in Canaan? How is God going to bring about his promises to us? Furthermore, and we don't have time to go back there this morning, but 
Genesis chapter 15 and verses 13 and 14, God had given a prophecy to Abraham, his grandfather. And God had foretold to Abraham that there was going to come a day when Abraham's descendants would move to a foreign land and be brought into slavery for 400 years before God brought him back out. And I'm sure as Jacob's about to bring his whole family out of the land of Canaan, he was thinking about that. Well, how, God, if we're going to go down there and and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren are going to end up being slaves, how are you going to bring us back out and fulfill your purposes for us? Listen, there are a lot of questions Jacob didn't know how to answer. There are a lot of questions on whether or not God was going to be good to fulfill his purposes and his life. So ultimately, this decision to follow God into this season of change required a great measure of faith. Jacob just had to believe God because a lot of it didn't make sense to him. And so what choice did Jacob make at this point? Well, verse number five, look at verse five. The Bible says, and Jacob rose up from Beersheba. He didn't even hesitate. He kept on going. God had said, it's okay to make the change. And he made the change. He rose up from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, and their little ones, and their wives, and the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. It's interesting to me. Jacob chose here first to trust God's purpose for his family. He didn't leave his family behind. He didn't say, well, I don't know how we're ever going to come back and live in the land of Canaan, so I'm going to leave a couple of my sons here to keep us a stake in Canaan, and the rest of us will move down to Egypt. No, he took the whole family with him. He wasn't going to leave a soul behind. if, if, If it was God's will for them to go to Egypt, and God still promised he was going to fulfill his purposes for his family, Jacob said, I'm just going to trust God, but the family's coming with me. And don't miss this application right here. God's will will never leave you to leave your family behind. He will never lead you to leave your family behind. Listen, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 that if a, if, a, if a man does not take care of his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You can't tell me you're serving God and leaving your family behind. You're not serving God, you're sinning against God. That's what you're doing. God's principle is always family first. And sir, that's true about you and your job. That's true, that's true about you and any pursuit you think you're going to follow after. Now listen, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes this morning, but God condemned this mindset, I need to make more money, so I'm going to be away from my family for months and months and months at a time. I'm going to tell you something. God's will will never lead you to do something that leaves your family behind. Now, I understand people serving in military. That's an exception, all right? But... You be careful about saying, well, this is what God's leading me to do, leaving your family in the dust. Your family is one of the most precious things that you can have on this side of eternity. You need to take care of them. Jacob says, my family is coming with me to Egypt. So he trusts God's purpose for his family. I see, secondly, he trusts God's purpose for his finances. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, and they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, which came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him to Egypt. Now, Pharaoh, this worldly leader, had told Jacob, leave all your stuff behind. I'll give you everything you need. Jacob said, "Uh uh-uh, God gives me everything I need. It's all coming with me. God's given it to me. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to steward it. I'm not going to squander it. I'm not going to waste it. And he brought it with him. And I love that application there. Uh, Going on in the scripture here to verse number eight, 
The Bible next gives us a little glimpse at another way Joseph or Jacob chose to believe God's purposes. And we'll put it this way, Jacob chose to believe God's purposes for his future. Now, this is, a, this, is a, this is the last genealogy that's given to us in the book of Genesis. Hallelujah for that, okay? Um, that's significant. Every word of God is inspired and profitable, and I do believe that. And uh, it's significant that we know who these people were in the Scripture. Uh, but what's interesting to me about this, there's 70 names that are listed here, and, and some of them go on to be very significant people in the Scripture, uh, for example, uh, in, this, in this portion of Scripture, uh, the Bible begins to tell us about Judah's descendants. And uh, the only two great-grandchildren uh, that are mentioned in this genealogy are the great-grandchildren uh, through, through the line of Judah. Why? Well, we find Judah had Perez, and Perez had Heber. And from Heber, way down the line, came the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we begin to have the, a picture painted of uh, the line of Christ uh, in this gene- genealogy for us right here. Another significant name in verse 13, look at that with me. Verse 13, the Bible says, And the sons of Issachar, Tola, Fuva, and who? Job. Well, we know who that is, don't we? There's some debate among Bible scholars if this was the actual Job uh, that the the book of uh, Job is written after. By the way, it's not Job, it's Job, okay? Uh, Let's make this, get that clear right there. But uh, Job, uh, there there, there are two possibilities, and this is at least one of the possibilities of uh, this being the actual Job, uh, who we hear so much about, and that God God used his life so much later on uh, in the scriptures. And uh, this is just an interesting tidbit. You can study that out for yourself. And boy, I tell you, I've studied out all the names uh, of, of all the people and uh, as much of the history as I could encounter uh, from what came from all these people in this genealogy. And it's a fascinating study um, that I don't have time to be able to share all of that with you today. But this is the application and one of the reasons I believe that God has put this genealogy in the scripture for us here. The Bible goes on at the end of, of this account in verse number uh, 26. If you go down to verse 26, and it says, And all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. And all the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten, or seventy persons, the Bible says, came with him out of Egypt. Now, it had been 215 years since God had promised Abraham, I'm going to make of your descendants a great nation. And in 215 years, all they had to speak of were 70 people. How is God going to fulfill his purpose to make a great nation? I mean, at this rate, it's going to be a very long time for them to become a great nation of people. And I'm sure Jacob wondered, God, how are you going to fulfill your purposes by leading us down to Egypt? How are we going to multiply there? Well, we know on the other side of history now, God's people went down to Egypt and they began to multiply like crazy. And by, by the time they left, several hundred years later, they were over two million strong. And they became a great nation of people. And Jacob, he couldn't see how God was going to fulfill his purposes. He couldn't understand how God was going to fulfill his purposes. He, could, he couldn't see how God was going to bring this promise to come to pass. And yet we know on this side of history, God did it anyways. And you listen, sometimes in our estimation, God is slow to fulfill his purposes. Sometimes in our viewpoint, God is slow to fulfill his promises. But you can mark it down, he'll always do it. 
He's always good to keep his word. And uh, that's one of the things that we learn from this point of scripture here. And so when you think about the change that's happening in your life then, the way that God's orchestrating the events of your life, you may not understand how the change God is bringing to your life is going to bring about any type of good purpose. How could losing someone I love, how could, uh, how could this circumstance in my life turn into anything good for me or fulfill God's purposes? Those are the types of questions that we like to ask. The fact is, God doesn't think the way we think. He doesn't do things the way that, that we do them. His ways are higher. His ways are perfect. And you don't have to understand it to believe that God is going to fulfill his purposes. I'm going to tell you something. You believe in the purposes of God you'll come to understand that his purposes are always for your good and for his glory. Romans 8 and verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. So that change that you're facing, just trust God to bring about his purposes through it. Number one, you're going to handle changes biblically. Uh, you need to seek the plan of God. Number two, you need to trust the promises of God. Number three, you need to believe the purpose of God. But I'll say this, number four, you need to rest in the providence of God. Rest in the providence of God. Now, providence, it just speaks of God's caretaking or his watch care over his people. And the fact is, for, for the people of God, God does take care of his people. He does watch over his people. And as, jo as Jacob began to make this big change, this big move from Canaan to Egypt, he had to begin to trust in God's providence to take care of him and his family as they went through the season of change. And we see uh, Jacob learning to trust the providence of God in several ways here. First, uh, he had to rest in God's providence to conduct him where he was supposed to go. In verse number 28, if you look at that with me, let's look at what the Bible says here. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Um, verse 28, the Bible says, And uh, he sent Judah before him unto Joseph, direct his face into Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. I think it's interesting, I'll just mention this briefly here. Judah, he was the son that had sold his brother Joseph into slavery. He was the son that had had children with his own daughter-in-law. I mean, some messed up stuff had happened with Judah. And yet, God's grace, see, we see here on the scripture, restored even a person like Judah. And here's Jacob sending his son Judah, the one who was so messed up in his past, to be the one to direct them, to guide them to where they were supposed to go in Egypt. And I'm thankful that the grace of God enables people who have a rough past to change. All right? And a beautiful picture of that uh, for us there in the scripture. And so uh, Jacob sends his son uh, Judah to go direct their way to where Joseph had told them to go. And the Bible says in verse number 28, uh, verse 29, and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are yet alive. And boy, as they entered into the land of Egypt, Joseph directed them to come to a place called Goshen. Now, Goshen is a special place. We'll look at it more later. But the Bible uh, tells us that, uh, if you study it out, the word Goshen, it actually literally means drawing near. And it was named after what Joseph had done here. He wanted his family to come near to him. And in the providence of God, God orchestrated the events of Jacob's life through this changing of seasons to bring Jacob and his family closer to Joseph. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. 
Don't miss this. It was the providence of God that led Jesus to go through all that he endured so that he could prepare a place for us as we walk through this world, as we walk through Egypt, to be able to draw close to him. We don't have to live, this, live, our, live our time through this life away from God. We can draw nigh to God through Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel for us there. And so Jacob had to trust God's providence to conduct him to the place he was supposed to go. But I see this as well. Not only did he have to trust God's providence to conduct his way, but he had to trust in God's providence to care for him when he got where God wanted him to go. Look at verse number uh, 31, if you would. The Bible says, And Joseph said to his brethren and to his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's, uh, and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come to me. And the men are shepherds. The trade has been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you that you shall say, what is, or he shall say, What is your occupation? And you shall say, thy servant's trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our father's house, uh, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. And don't miss this, for every shepherd is what? An abomination unto the Egyptians. See, Joseph had a plan here to be able to bring his brothers before Pharaoh. And um, Joseph knew a few things that they didn't know. He knew how they were supposed to conduct themselves in the presence of royalty. His brothers were farmers and ranchers. They'd never talked to a king before. And so he began to coach them on the conversation they were supposed to have with Pharaoh. And just Joseph knew Jacob and his family didn't want to live in the, in, in the Heropolis, in the capital city of Egypt. They wanted to have their own place separate from the rest of, uh, the, rest of the Egyptians. And so Jacob, uh, Joseph advised his family to go and talk to Pharaoh. And when they went in, um, there were already two things that were against them. Two things that the Egyptians viewed as an abomination. Number one, they were Hebrews. And the Egyptians were very much uh, anti-Semitic uh, against, uh, against the Jewish people. They looked at the Jewish people as an abomination. All right? And then Joseph told them, I want you to tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. Well, we just read, uh, the Egyptians looked at the occupation of a shepherd as an abomination. And I was trying to think of what uh, occupation culturally in America do we look at as an abomination here. Um, but uh, I won't digress into that very far, okay? Because we don't have time for that. But um, th there were already two things against them. The fact that they were Jews and the fact that they were shepherds would have put them in a position where they never could come before someone like Pharaoh. So why did they get to go stand before Pharaoh? Well, one word is Joseph. Joseph was their mediator. Joseph said, I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh and I'm going to tell him about you. And then I'm going to bring you in so that you could stand before him. And it was a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us here. You see, you and I are sinners before a holy God. We don't deserve to be able to come into the presence of a holy God. We, there is no good thing within us, the Bible tells us. We have nothing good of ourselves uh, that would bring us to a place where we would have a standing to be able to come before someone like God. But Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. And through his suffering on Calvary and his burial and his resurrection, he's now ascended to the Father. And now you and I, who were sometimes far off, are brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our mediator, the New Testament teaches us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's our only way to access God. And I love this. Just as Joseph gave his family access to the throne of Egypt so that they could be taken care of, Jesus has given us access to heaven's throne today so that we can be taken care of. When they stood before Pharaoh, we don't have time to read the verses. When Joseph's family came and stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh looked at Joseph and said, Joseph, because they're your family, I want you to give them the best of Egypt. I want you to provide their every need. I want you to make them live in the best of the land. I want you to take care of them and give them everything that they need. And boy, let me tell you something, Christian. Because of our connection to Jesus Christ, God the Father looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, I want you to give them everything they need. I want you to watch watch over everything that they need as they walk through this life. And thank God, Philippians 4.19 still says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And be sure you can rest in the providence of God. And friend, I don't care what changing of seasons may be going on in your life today. I can assure you of the fact that the providence of God will still take care of you. Be not afraid, whate'er be tied, the old hymn says. God will take care of you. All that you need, he will supply. God will take care of you. And I'm glad that we have a God who won't change. The seasons of our life will change but there will always be our providential God to take care of us no matter what season of life we may, going, we may be going through. Now, I want you to see a final truth here today before we're done. If you're going to face, handle change biblically, number five, trust in the placement of God. Trust in the placement of God. We're gonna look at the final two verses of our text this morning, verses 11 and 12. Jacob and his family had a choice to make here choice to trust God with where he was placing them. Verse number 11, the Bible says, And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, and as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. Listen, it wasn't easy, I'm sure, for Jacob to adjust to this change. He was an old man. He was 130 years old. It's older than any of us are ever going to be, okay, on this side of eternity. At 130 years old, the last thing he probably wanted to do is move and get used to living in a new place. Get this. It wasn't Canaan, but it was where God had called him. And listen, I'd rather be in the will of God in Egypt than out of the will of God in Canaan. And too often... We get an attachment to a place that God doesn't want us to be. If you're going to handle change biblically, you're going to have to be willing to let God change you. To let God move you from where you are to where he wants you to go. Now sometimes we use a change of uh, occupation, a change of Uh, uh, a zip code, we use those as an excuse to run from where God wants us to be. I understand that. But when God is leading us and bringing about change in our life, we have to be willing to trust him with where he places us. By the way, this place where God had put Jacob wasn't really that bad. It was the best of the land, okay? The Bible says it was in the land of Ramses. That was the land of the kings. Now, later on in Israel's history, because they're living in the land of the kings, 
um, when they get put into slavery, the pharaohs start using that to advantage. And they start making the Hebrew people become their slaves to build their pyramids and their palaces. And all of that happened later in Israel's history. But right now, as Jacob moves his family to this place, it may not have been what he was used to. It may not have been what he thought he wanted. But when he got there, he found it was special indeed to be right where God wanted him to be. And I'm sure that you've experienced this too. Emily and I have, God has led, led us to change uh, and move several times in our lives. And uh, uh, I've lived in uh, Chicago. I've lived in uh, uh, Southern California. I've lived in Nashville, Tennessee. And now I've lived in Southwest Colorado. Hallelujah, I like Southwest Colorado the best, okay? Uh, and I can honestly say that. But boy, everywhere we've gone, we've, the Lord has just given us blessings where we've been. I'll tell you something, there's no better place for you to be than right where God wants you to be. And we can dream of better places, of, of brighter horizons, but if you just open your eyes and realize how good God has given it to you where you're at, where he wants you to be, it'll change your perspective. And boy, it wasn't Canaan, but it was where God had called him, and there's no better place for you to be than where God has called you as a child of God. And you can mark that down. By the way, this place God had called him to above all things it was close to Joseph. It was a place where they could have close fellowship with Joseph. Now, I'll tell you something. When you're outside of the will of God, when you're away from where God wants you to be, the tendency will always be for you to be distant in your relationship towards God. Not because God is limiting himself to you, but because you're estranging yourself from him. When you're willing to be where God has called you to be, that puts you in a position to enjoy close communion with the Lord. And as Jacob and his family lived there in Egypt, they got to have close fellowship with Joseph that they had never had before. I'll tell you something. The greatest place for you to have an intimate walk with the Lord is being right where God's called you to be. So long as you stick stubbornly in the place that you find yourself in, unwilling to change, unwilling to go in the direction that God is leading you to go, resisting his voice, resisting his promptings, so long as you hold on to your old way and are unwilling to let God transform and change your life and lead you forward, you will find yourself distant from the Lord. You'd be willing to submit and follow God's leadership. You will find in making such a choice of surrender a new freshness and a new closeness in your relationship with the Lord that you've never experienced before. The Bible says in Psalm 91, verse number one, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'd like to be close enough to God that I could be in his shadow. I'd like to be close enough to where God wants me to be that I could be in his shadow. And that ought to be the desire of every one of us here today. So listen, how do you handle the changes that come into your life. All of us are going to experience change in life. How do you handle them biblically? You gotta seek out the plan of God. You gotta trust in the promises of God. Believe in the purposes of God. Even if you can't see what God's doing, believe that God knows what he's doing and trust him through the changing season of your life. Number four, you've gotta rest in the providence of God. God's still gonna take care of you. No, everything's different, everything's changing, God's still going to be there for you. Just as much as he was before, he's still going to be there for you today. And then finally, you need to trust in the placement of God. You may not like the place God puts you right now. 
But if that's where God has you, you've got to trust Him. It's just a season. Trust Him in the season you're in. Learn to see the beauty in the season that you're in. How are you going to handle the change that you're facing in life? Some of you are have, you have some pretty big changes in your life happening right now. I wonder if you'll respond the way the Bible counsels us to today to it. Some of you need a big change to happen in your life today. Your life is messed up. You've been going down a road that is not good. You need change, and God is the agent of change that you need. Jesus Christ can transform your life if you'd be willing to turn to him today and seek out his plan for your life. And I hope if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're in need of that big change in your life, that you'll come and let us show you how you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. But however God has spoken to your heart through the truths that we've looked at today, I wonder if you would be willing to trust God to lead you into the change he wants to bring into your life. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. A simple